You're listening to a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Network production. Run It Again is an inside look at the players, the coaches, and the business of sports with former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. And two minutes later, I was back in the same Oklahoma drill that I got the concussion from. And the mastermind behind the greatest show on turf, Coach Mike Marks. And we want to force him into a vanilla defense and go to work. Run It Again is a hard-hitting, no BS podcast that connects you directly to the source. This is Run It Again. Welcome to Run It Again. Now, here's Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Marks. All right, very special guest joining us here at Run It Again podcast, Ron Pitts, Mike Martz, and we are joined by super agent Lee Steinberg. Boy, Lee, longtime friend, man. We, we, we bump into each other now and then in different places, but good to have you on our podcast. Buddy. It's a pleasure to be with uh, ex-UCLA defensive back and uh, the coach of the greatest show on turf, uh, <laughs> Super Bowl winning coach. 14 and 2, if I remember. What yep. a year. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. So good to have you uh, on our podcast. Yeah, there's so many things I'd like to ask you that you're curious about. But, you know, one of the things that uh, – who was the – what was the toughest negotiation of your career in, in your mind? Well, it was anything with uh, the Cincinnati Bengals owner, Mike <laughs> Brown. Um, I had their first round draft pick in 1990, uh, let's see, 1987, 1992, 1994, 1995, and 1999. And if I represented astronauts, Mike Brown would be the tight-fisted ruler of the moon. Do you think he's changed over the years at all? Is it the same? No. 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 How is it they've uh, they've gone in the offseason and started doing some things with the free agency? That's kind of out of character, isn't it? Yes. And so and they're a better team now. No question. Uh, But um, remember, I've done this for 48 years. And back in the old days, teams used to be able to claim they didn't have great revenue flow. It's a little (laughs) harder when they're making when they're making $200 million a year before they open their doors from the TV contract nationally. Yeah. yeah. You found out where the money bag is now, huh, huh Lee? Well, they, if you yeah. think about this in the midst of a cratered economy in a pandemic, uh, the NFL was able to negotiate a new television contract this year, which goes up for Fox and CBS by 83%, virtually doubles, and uh, extends out for 10 years. So by the end of that, they'll be making roughly $350 million a year just from national TV. Yeah. And that doesn't include the gambling partnership, which quite frankly, Lee, uh, Coach and I, we, we still marvel at this because we know what the narrative was back in the day about gambling and NFL relationships. So now to see all this happening is, is quite eye-opening, to say the least. Well, the danger has always been this, that if somehow an athlete went into gambling debt and was tempted to shave performance in the game, yeah. then all of a sudden it wouldn't be a level playing field and people would start to think of pro sports like wrestling. Uh, as somehow not an actual contest. And so the thought that you would have paramutual betting 
at Stadia themselves that you would have uh, uh, NFL teams owning part of fantasy football betting uh, platforms and that you'd have the Raiders, the Oakland Raiders would now be the Las Vegas Raiders. Mm -hmm. They would also have a hockey team and probably soon an NBA team. Just stunning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it really is. And uh, again, it's a new landscape. I, we get it. I get it financially. And, and as you just talked about, you know, the TV contracts and, and what's on the horizon as far as that's concerned. But uh, it makes us think now what's coming next in, in terms of partnerships with the NFL. Exactly. And, and so you have a sport that, that has brand new stadia with jumbo scoreboards with ancillary revenue streams coming everywhere. You've got fantasy sports. You've got um, a new thing called NFT. So if you weren't amazed by gambling taking over, how about the fact that we did a deal with Patrick Mahomes where there's some pieces of art that are iconic moments. And so you can bid on these, buying these. At the end of the day, someone put $155,000 up for a picture of Patrick Mahomes that only exists on the internet, right? Oh, it, wow. it doesn't, when you bid on these NFTs, you win the right to uniquely put this up on, you know, your social media, but it doesn't physically exist, you know, in the world the way the three of us know it. So um, you can monetize virtually anything now. Yep. Over the years, Lee, who's your favorite organization to deal with that you felt did the best job? Um, in football, uh, the New England Patriots uh, were an exceptionally well-run team. And really, when you come down to it, the key to winning in sports is the quality of the organization. I mean, the players go round and round, but it's the owner and stability and a vision. It's a front office that has talent in, in drafting and trading and, and cutting. It's, it's a, and it's so much about the head coach who has a system, and it can be one of any systems. So the whole uh, goal of the NFL is to have parity. So it's to have teams go through a, a process of uh, rebuilding, then they sit on top for three or four years and they come back down and the rest of it. So anytime, and they have a draft that does that and free agency and all sorts of things to help teams that are not winning. Mm -hmm. When you see a team like New England sit at the top, uh, or in your day, Mike, the St. Louis Rams were really well run. They had every part of it down. And, and so you see teams like that, you know, how Baltimore wins year after year, how Pittsburgh, not this year, but normally wins year after year. These are teams that are uh, exceptionally well run. Right now, the LA Rams is another one of those organizations. And in a normal year, the Kansas City Chiefs would be one of those organizations. But, you know, it's a tougher year for them. So what are the what are some of the factors that make them such a well-run organization, Lee? It's uh, uh, having an owner who who listens to people and and reaches out. One of 
someone like Bob Kraft bought the New England Patriots. He talked to everybody in the league about mm-hmm. what it took to create a great personnel person, uh, to evaluate talent, to, to put together a concept of how you build a football team. So it's having an owner that, that actually has knowledge about what he knows and what he needs to put around him. And then it's a front office, the ability to evaluate talent in a draft or free agency or trading, the ability to know which players to keep or what. So it's, it's having a, a, a system that works and it could be anything. Uh, sure. Pittsburgh Steelers used to like stubby buddy bodied little offensive alignment, but who had big bulk. The Raiders wanted, or the Cowboys wanted big, uh, tall, uh, uh, it could be whatever it is. Jimmy Johnson just cared about the uh, defensive players being fast. Okay. So it's, you could have one of any system, but these people have it and they don't change every year. They don't fire their coach over and over again. They don't, um, uh, they have stability and the players have continuity. Is there a, over your, the many years that you've been doing this, is there somebody that really sticks out in terms of being an excellent evaluator over the long haul? Well, I mean, I think the best <laughs> there ever was was Bill Polian because yeah. you have to give him, uh, even though he hates agents, but. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah I know but, that personally. <laughs> but, but let's give him the fact that he built the Buffalo Bills into a team that went four straight years to the Super Bowl. And football being unforgiving, people remember them as as the worst team because they lost four Super Bowls where really they were one of the best two teams no, no, to do course. it. And it was yeah. amazing. And then he goes down to Carolina and puts that together. So their second year, they're in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, that's an expansion team. Yeah. And then you get him uh, up at Indianapolis and, and he puts that together as a great franchise. So I, I think he... Um, you know, can do it uh, uh, really well. Um, who's ever at the Rams today uh, is doing it really well because they're making trades and doing things that uh, are incredibly uplifting for the team. Yeah. Lee, you've, you've represented just about anyone who is someone, in, in at least in the sport of football. And I know you've branched out in other sports as well, from Steve Brutkowski, who – they say is your first client, I guess, you know, the, the one on the radar, and you, you'll tell if, it that, if that's not true or not, but uh, to Patrick Mahomes. That said, what is the first step to a successful partnership with an athlete? How does it begin? So everyone in the world values suasion, but in reality, it's listening skills that are critically important. So I need to create enough trust around an athlete where they'll share their value system and priorities. So I really understand what's critically important to them. And um, if you can put yourself in the heart and mind of another human being and see the world the way they see it, and uh, if you can understand their greatest anxieties and fears and their greatest hopes and dreams, as they define it, not what the world thinks of it, but as that unique individual, if I can get that person to open up 
and really understand. Then I can shape a, a life program for them that starts with the path of the draft, leads into mentoring them into being a great uh, veteran. And 12 of our players are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in, in football. And mm -hmm. then to a second career so that I'm as proud that Bruce Smith, uh, the all-time sack leader, owns part of the biggest luxury hotel in Washington and is vice president of a construction company or that three of my former athletes became actual owners of teams work done. The former running back with Atlanta owns part of the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, so for this generation ownership, and so it's listening mm -hmm. skills and then being able to get uniquely into that person, not represent them generically, but then really fulfill their dreams over time. And it doesn't finish until Steve Young, well, until Brent Jones, the tight end of the 49ers, understood he was playing in Silicon Valley and uh, put together a $4 billion hedge fund. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Wow. Has the process in terms of negotiating with teams changed much over the years, Lee? Is it, it has now than perhaps 10 years ago? Very much, because when the salary cap came in in 1993 for rookies, we were still able to craft ways around it. So <clears throat> I did a thing with Drew Bledsoe in 93, the first year, called Voidable Years. So he would get to a certain point in his rookie contract, the years would go away, and so they'd have to renew him uh, as a veteran. Um, but... When the 2010 collective bargaining agreement came out, 2011, um, it tightly structured how draft picks are paid. So there's a minimum and a maximum, and there really is much less of an art of negotiating because the team will normally max out what they're allowed under the cap to pay a player. And they'll make that offer. And so instead of having the in in our day, the long holdouts with players late to training camp, they're not late anymore. That's a yeah. good thing for yeah, football. I noticed that. Yeah. Where do you think the league's headed? Is is it things are gonna get better for them or is it leveling off, do you think, uh the NFL and uh you know, financially and, and just in terms of I guess um this, this country has a love affair going with uh, the NFL that is unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime. When we were all growing up, it was baseball, but now it's football. Yeah, and yeah. Um, by three to one, pro football is the most popular sport in this country. And 71 of the top 100 Nielsen-rated primetime shows were, were football, uh, NFL football. And right behind that is college football. So... We're still entering uh, an era where the revenue is expanding and gate revenue is expanding, luxury box revenue, sponsorship, um, television, um, you know, all sorts of uh, uh, other plays, fantasy sports, memorabilia. It's all exploding and, and it's going nowhere uh, uh, soon. It's going to yeah. continue to grow. The biggest threat to pro football, I believe, is the danger that concussion uh, poses to athletes. And um, because it's started to become clear that every time a lineman hits a lineman, 
at the line of scrimmage at the inception of a play that produces a low-level subconcussive event, just a little bit of brain change. So you could have an offensive lineman walk out of football with having played in high school and college with 10,000 subconcussive hits, none of which have been diagnosed, none of which he's aware of. You just feel stunned like you do on any play. And um, all of which could lead to the same thing that three concussions do, which is a propensity towards Alzheimer's, um, premature senility, Parkinson's, um, uh, and chronic traumatic encephalopathy and depression. So my feeling is if you want to look to the future, Coach, if 50% of the mothers and fathers in the country understand the facts about concussion and tell their teenage boys you can play any sport but not tackle football, it won't immediately kill football, but little by little it'll start to drift and it'll become a uh, gladiator sport where mm. the only people who play it are like the people who box or fight in UFC. Yeah, I know yeah. they've got a chance of brain damage, but you know, they need it for economic reasons. And uh, I love football. I don't want to see that happen. So I've held 16 concussion conferences and we've explored a whole variety of ways to make the game safer. It seems like it has had an effect on high school football. Uh, the numbers out for for football, I think, at that point. The other thing I wanted to ask you, Lee, was another commissioner is really dead set on getting a, a, a franchise over in Europe. Do you see that happening? Not really, uh, because um, it's hard enough to travel coast to coast. But if you look at the teams that play in London uh, and then look at their next game, I mean, they're out of sort. And the whole thing that most coaches are trying to get going is continuity and a rhythm during the season. Now, all of a sudden it's 14 hours from here on the West coast to fly to London. Um, it's, um, I see that as being difficult to, to work into a, a routine, um, that, that would fit. It would just, those players who'd have to play overseas would be imbalanced. And then if you had the franchise there, um, they would have to fly the opposite way to play a game with Seattle or with the Rams. Right. Do you, do you think, do you see a need, uh, Lee, uh, for some sort of a minor league, if you will, football? Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The worst thing right now is that um, Canada didn't even play last year. So we all know you know, with Kurt Warner, we all know that the system misses people because um, you have training camp and you very quickly have to get ready for the season. And a whole lot of players on the roster just don't get seen playing at their position. You know, yeah. they might play special teams. So yeah. what happens? Yeah. You The cuts come and now they cut every s single extra player on one day. Um, they used to do it gradually, but now it's all done on one day. You've got 1,200 players cut and heading for the exit. Some of them sign on practice squads, but there are many talented players who never get the chance to show yeah, that's right. what they have. And 
there ought to be a place for them to do it. Uh, you know, whether it's the XFL or the uh, AAF or the arena, those leagues are really good. And, and a number of players on the teams and like that AAF and uh, came into the NFL and did fine. Yeah, I guess probably the only way that that's going to happen is to, if the league would endorse it and, and support it. Without their support, I don't think uh, any of those leagues have a chance over the long haul, do they? Well, they do, and here's why. Because television has expanded from three networks to being 300 different options, right? And so now all of a sudden, if, if you get a TV contract, what we've come to see is most, if you watch last night's Monday night football game, most Americans would rather watch mediocre football than great something else, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so we're so crazy for it. I've always thought that if, uh, if a person who became a very noted politician hadn't ruined it, the USFL would have made it. <laughs> and um, the yeah. USFL would have made it. And, oh. and right now we probably would have had four or five of those teams absorbed into the NFL. I mean, yeah. and so you can put uh, the ratings for the AAF were reasonable for a first-year team. And, and I, I actually think that as long as you have a few well-known names from college football or something else, then people will watch. Do you think the league will expand with new teams? Uh, new, uh, or, uh, for, I know there's a lot of talent out there, like you said, that gets missed. Do you think there's what, enough out there to expand the league to more teams? Well, you, you need a city that can support a stadium and a, and, and a team. And and you pro if they let Jacksonville in the league, which at that time was the 55th largest market of TV in the country, and, and Carolina, which was the 32nd, then I'm sure they can probably, you know, find uh, – new areas. I mean, we have 17 million people in Southern California yeah. that could get to a stadium within two hours. Uh, so the answer is um, not soon, but I would never say never. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you think the league, the league wants San Diego or uh, to have another team that the, is there a chance that the chargers could come back to San Diego? I've never liked the concept of teams losing. Now in baseball, I helped Mayor uh, Jordan in San Francisco save the Giants who were leaving the city. Uh, and I fought against that. And I was chairman to save the Rams, no offense, but we wanted to keep them in Southern California. Yeah. Um, I think it doesn't make any sense to take a team away from a place like San Diego where you have loyal fans who supported the team through thick and thin, um, you can, it, if, if a pro team can be taken from a city, then when they say we're your Oakland Raiders with the implied obligation to come win or lose, because that team's as much a part of the area as the Golden Gate Bridge, right? Right, right. My son came to me when the Rams were leaving and he said, what do you mean they're leaving, Dad? How can a football team leave? Right. I mean, is Disneyland next? You know, yeah. are we going to uh -huh. give away Knott's Berry Farm? Uh, uh -huh. You know, uh, uh, how? So I think San Diego desperately needs a team, 
and they deserve one. So yes, yeah, that would be a logical first place. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of people down here to be happy with that, and that's for sure, as you know. What did the people of San Diego do to wrong to lose their team? Maybe so, they they wouldn't publicly fund the stadium. Fund the stadium, well, yeah. Well, it, most started of this, it started most off. Of this, yeah, it started off Lee years ago when they first did the contract. I think the city really felt like they got, uh, I guess, screwed, if you will, for lack of a better term, on the contract in terms of, I think, uh, some From of the concessions, yeah. yeah, and all those things, and the club kind of made out on it, and uh, they were determined not to let that happen again. They, they, everything was one way, I guess, is the easiest way in their mind, in the city council's mind, and the mayor. Everything had been one way. And now here they come and they say they want to be funded uh, again for a stadium. And they just, you know, down here, they just said, no way. We're not doing Well, that. the current model is private funding, right? No question. So, yeah, no question. So the point is that, that the league would have helped that team uh, in financing. And um, what you see in the new model is you create an activity zone around the stadium. So like where, uh, Qualcomm was, you create other businesses, other things, and then you you privately fund the stadium. I mean, this is not an era where, where, especially with the pandemic, where we're voting tax money to private businesses to build a private stadium. Um, it's just the owners can figure out how to build the stadiums. Yeah. 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 Lee, uh, coach and I talk a lot about this, this next topic, uh, the NIL that's, uh, that's been put in place for college athletes. You know, they can now receive endorsements, get endorsements, sign contracts, things of that nature. I'm, I'm kind of split on it for a lot of reasons, namely, uh, supporting the athletes that are going to be making decisions contract wise that could affect them the rest of their life and, and, and informing them on, on how to do it. Give me your thoughts on this. Is this a, is this a good thing at the end of the day? Is it a, is it a, a, a problem? Are we headed toward a problem for, for our amateur athletes doing this right now, the way we're, we put it in place? Well, the colleges brought this upon themselves and the NCAA did too, because if you had an athlete from a middle class or affluent background, they live just fine on scholarship check. But if you had an athlete from a, a economically challenged background, they might be sending part of the, of the scholarship check home to, to their family. And they would come to a campus like UCLA or SC and the non-athletic uh, peers could work during the school year to supplement their income. And the athlete in modern day it just can't do that so that right. you had athletes living at a lower standard of living without access to a car and, and not able to get an apartment near campus. Um, and they looked up at the stadiums. They saw they were filled. They read about the TV contracts and they yeah. saw their number being sold in the student store. Yeah. All the, the campuses had to do was if there were special needs supplement the revenue to bring the player back to the standard of living, you didn't have to pay them like Rogers, but they wouldn't do it. And, um, and California passed SB 206, knowing that that would lead the way. And since July 1st, when it took effect, 
it's been a landslide, an avalanche of deals. And it hasn't just, now we signed um, uh, Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma, who mm-hmm. now is having his bench, but, yeah. but got off to a fast start. We signed Malik Willis, the quarterback from Liberty. Um, and what you're doing with them is you're branding. Now, the downside of this program is that when you see Nick Saban announce publicly that his quarterback had a million dollars in deals, could you imagine a football coach taking a player who had never played a down and publicly touting how much money they'd made? Normally, what a coach would do is say, now, don't put too much expectations on this young guy. Make sure that you give him time to build yeah, into his position, right. right, and all that. I don't hear that anymore. He did that. That's recruiting. He was yeah. recruiting. But it's what you've recruit. seen with NIL is it hadn't just been the football quarterbacks. It's been some programs, every single player is, yeah. uh, uh, in men and women's sports is getting $1,000 or $500. We've seen um, uh, all sorts of uh, businesses. See, you got alums who want to support the football program. And now, instead of giving directly to the football program, they're using their business to, to supplement you know, player revenue. So here's what I think the worst dangers are. One, that we talked with Patrick Mahomes his first two seasons and, and, and suggested he do no endorsements. Why? Because we wanted his play on the field. We wanted to prove to the owner, the general manager, the coach, he was serious about football, the other players on the team, and then put something out there charitably. As you know, we asked that all the players go back to the high school, college and pro uh, communities and set up, charitable foundations and scholarship funds. We wanted him to do things like that before we were uh, over billboards and all over television. So that, so you've got the problem that you're taking a young player and, and they may have market value, but did they have, they developed their career. Second of all, you might have jealousy if the offensive lineman is making nothing and the quarterback's making a million dollars a year. Um, and so um, I think those are, are problems with it, but they waited too long at the NCAA to loosen up the system, and this is mm. what happened. Yeah, and, and there's no guidance program that, that at least nationally I'm aware of that, that informs the student-athlete. Well, that, that tells that, the student athlete here. Here's what a contract is. Here's what the word in perpetuity means. Here's what you're actually signing up for. That's it's not I just understand. a click and, a, and an acceptance in you know on a social media. But room. it act, yeah. actually is working that most of the key players have marketing agents working with them already. Yeah, the marketing agents are the ones who are doing this. You still cannot sign a player undergrad. Uh, who's got eligibility left to an agency contract, but you can sign them no marketing contract. No marketing. So we weren't just dealing with Spencer Rattler. He had a family that was very much involved. They had asked all the same questions they would have asked. The the, uh, many campuses are trying to help the players themselves. 
they are teaching you you'd be happy to know ron they are talking to the players about well that's good the issues yeah. you brought up um and uh there are many different groups that are that are doing this but um i virtually never meet with a player before i've met with his parents and maybe 15 times and it's an afterthought that you actually meet with the player because they've got plenty to do during uh the season um without worrying about agents but it's here it's everywhere it's what female athletes that uh, were in the olympics that young gymnast from auburn is is doing just fine yeah Mm-hmm. And I heard from some of the mid-level colleges that they're concerned that some of the, m- the money that's gifted to the university will be taken away towards those players and that they would hurt some of their endowments, et cetera. I don't know if that's accurate or if that's even an issue. I think it's just, you know what, Mike, I think it just adds to, there's so much excitement about college football and college basketball. I think it just adds to it. Um, if anything, it's going to make alums give more. It's not gonna, gonna, uh, now they have different ways to give money. Um, and they use, uh, successful alums who have successful businesses are using them, uh, to, to supplement programs. Yeah. And they have the business expense. Uh, the last thing I was going to say is they can take it as a business expense. So it makes them more willing to put the money in. Well, uh, Lee, we, we appreciate your time. We know you've got a, a bunch of things to do, and probably that phone's ringing off the hook as we're talking right here. So, But we always uh, always appreciate you, man. It's good talking to you again. Yeah, My thank pleasure. you so much. Yeah. My pleasure, and good luck on your podcast. Thanks, Thank Lee. you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Lee Steinberg, super agent, spending some time with us there. And, uh, Mike, I, you know, I always learn something, right? I always learn something new every time uh, – Every time we talk to Lee, so that was great. Yeah, it was an awesome interview. You know, it's fun to listen to Lee, to Lee explain the other side of it that you don't, really don't see. Some of, I wanted to talk to him a little bit more about the negotiations, but that would probably bore him to death. He's been through it for so many years. All right, that was Super Agent Lee Steinberg. Uh, you, you, you and Lee have talked quite a bit in the past, haven't you, Mike? I got that feeling. Well, we kind of know each other a little bit. Of course, yeah. as a head coach, you, you get a chance to talk to some of those agents, but he was – I know from the front office people, they always um, they had high regard for him as an agent and his yeah. ethics. And, uh, you know, there's good ones and bad ones, of course. Unfortunately, there's more bad ones, and he's one of the good ones. Yeah. Mike, before we start the show, I got to say, man, I'm liking this look I'm seeing from you. This is that, that tough guy look, that mountain man look. Not that you're oh, not a mountain right man here? or a tough guy. Yeah, you got the, you got the chops, as they say, right? Well, Back in well, Sioux the, Falls, the chops. Yeah. Yeah, the chops will keep coming because I'm, I'm trying to hide these rolls that are underneath here. You know the <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> cover man. up some of the age, I guess. Yeah, right. Well, I got my uh, USF hat on. That's uh, that's very nice. Uh, Sioux yeah. Falls University. Thank you Sioux very Falls, much. South yeah. Dakota. And they're 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 rolling, Mike. They're trying to roll a little bit now. They went up to uh, Minnesota State in Mankato. And survived a tough one. Uh, well, actually, it blew them out first half, and then it got tough late. But the, they're still hanging in there. They got a chance for the playoffs, so they gotta they gotta keep it going. They got Wayne State this week. My, my uh, Ooh, that's team. a good team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so. in Sioux Falls for for um, people that don't know, and I'm from Sioux Falls. That's where I was born. So natural yeah. connection. That's right. That's right. Every time we go there, we see the Mike 
March statue, the statue, uh, Mike yeah. March yeah. uh, residence here. Sure. And there's Mike, even a, a Mike like the house March. that Mike March was raised in. Yeah. Right. No, there's a museum tour that you can walk through and everything. It's great. We, we've taken <laughs> you walk tour. in, walk out, right? <laughs> it's a phone booth. We've taken the tour several times now and they're opening up then, an ice rink right up the street here. So we'll, yeah, yeah, right down sure. the street from the house. So anyway, sure, let's, yeah. uh, let's talk some football here Boy, the Monday night game, Ooh, man, that was uh Kansas city and the giants, not the greatest game, but uh, I think Kansas city survived it somehow. You know, Kansas city, they're just not very good. Two bad teams yeah. to me when you watch them both play and, one of the things that bothers me about Mahomes right now, he doesn't look anything like the Mahomes that we've sure seen doesn't. in the past. And, and I know all the issues that they've got. They're not very good on defense. The offensive line that they retooled, just not very good. They're just not. Um, but he's trying to make throws that uh, he just shouldn't try to make. Uh, trying to make plays he doesn't need to try to make and trying to be creative. You, don't, you just don't do that. You get in trouble doing all that stuff. And Biggest thing that I've noticed here in the last two weeks is he's just not very accurate. He's missed some throws that he just, I mean, he didn't miss and yeah. he's missing throws. So, um, you know, they got away with it, but uh, they're not going to go very far if they play like that. I, they beat the Giants, who's not very good. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm noticing guys like Kelsey are dropping balls. He looks yeah, uh, look at the same different, guy. Yeah. There's a, a downer kind of atmosphere there right now. There's yeah. just no energy to anything that they do. The two little receivers took off and, I can't remember his name, number 17. He ran that little reverse in there and, and uh, put it in the end zone at the end to win it. But, um, you know, Hill is just – he'd be – right now he might be my pick for player of the year, you know, MVP. Yeah. At least offensive player of the year. I mean, he's just – I mean, how do, you, how do you stop him, you know? I mean, is he, what do you have, another 13 or 14 catches last night or – Right, yeah, exactly. And, and it just they just look different. Something's not – Something's not right. The, yeah, there's a something in the building. They're just yeah. like I said. It's almost they've lost some games. They didn't know how to deal with. It. They just don't know how to deal with it. You know, they don't know how to get back on track, and that's hard to do. You know, right. in there. So yeah. the other thing, Ron, and I was, you know, there's three three teams one that beat substantial opponents with a backup quarterback. I was going to ask you about all that last week. Yeah, this yeah, it's never week. happened. You know, that's never happened. So you got. uh Mike White with the Jets throws for over – the last time they threw for 400 yards was in, in uh, the year 2000, Vinny Testaverde. Throws mm -hmm. for 405 yards or whatever it was, you know, caught a touchdown, threw a couple, you know, and uh, the the Cooper Rush thing, you know, that game that against, you know, the Cowboys versus Minnesota, he came off the bench and just was superb. He did a great job. Yeah. I mean, he, Still threw for like 330 yards. He made key throws and, you know, you know, then that's no easy task. I mean, Minnesota's a good team. They're really a good team. You know, at least they've, they've, they've lost some games that they should have won, but they're compete very well and they're a good team. Especially you know? in Minnesota. Tough team in to beat Minnesota. no matter what. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no question. Yeah. And then New Orleans with a, with their third team quarterback beats Brady in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who mm -hmm. saw that coming? Right. Simeon, you right. know, and he's, I was down there, and I, I remember watching him a little bit. But, I mean, he played, you know, for the amount of practice he's had, he played really well. I mean, he had to go in there in a pinch, and, and uh, he got it done. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's go back to the Jets uh, deal there with Mike White, 37 to 45, 405 yards, as you were talking about, two interceptions. But, you know, is that, is that a case, Mike, where Cincinnati coming off the big win the week before – 
They're going in to play the winless Jets, and it's no matter what you tell guys. Well, excuse me, not winless. They had, they had one win up to that point. Uh, no matter what you tell guys, they just can't believe that. Hey, this is going to be a tough game. Every game's a tough game in this business. So I think you're right, Ron. I, I do think that here's Cincinnati, a team that's learned how to win. Mm-hmm. They've never been off to a start like this. You know, they're they're acting like a playoff team. They get this big, big win. And then the giant letdown against the, the Jets. And that's not to say the Jets didn't play well. I, I don't mean that. But Cincinnati gave up 500 yards now, over 100 yards in rushing, yeah, 400 yards in, yeah. in passing. You know, you give up 500 yards, you're going to get beat, buddy. You know, you just mm-hmm. are. And so they didn't show up for the most part. And, and I do think that, um, you know, obviously the quarterback played good. But is that – because he's that good or is it because Cincinnati was that bad? I, I right. saw a bit of the game. I did. I was trying to watch as many games as I could. I saw some of it and uh, it, Cincinnati just looked, they looked bad. The Dallas Minnesota game. So there was two plays in that game, which I thought d- defined the game. And then a, a coaching decision I want to ask you about with Zimmer. So uh, as the uh, Cowboys are going down the field there on that last drive, uh, Zimmer got into a situation, the coach for the, the Vikings, he got right. into a situation where he called back-to-back timeouts. Now, the new rule is, or the newer rule is, the, uh, if you, didn't, you cannot call back-to-back timeouts, number one. And if you do call back-to-back timeouts, the officials are trained to ignore the second request for the timeout. And what they did was they penalized the uh, Vikings uh, five yards. They moved the ball up. So now the next play, uh, they throw the little uh, swing pass, I believe, to Zeke Elliott. He busts the tackle. And instead of it being like a third and 16, it was a third and 10. And so he converts the first down. And that was huge down at that end of the field because they were right. they, they were getting close. Um, so I, I, I want to ask you about that, that play, and then I'll go to the next play. But is that a coaching error on Zimmer's part? All right. So what happened um, is if, if somebody's trying to uh, call a second timeout, like you said, they're supposed to ignore it. But if yeah. the official inadvertently accepts it and makes a call, then they have to penalize that team. Then they have. Yeah. And, and they, have, they don't have a choice. And I believe it was a player that called timeout. So okay. I don't believe that's uh, the coach didn't do that. Zim didn't do that. He did the first one and then they got discombobulated down there. I think it was a personnel change. They're trying to match up and, and then the, the player just called timeout, not realizing they didn't have anything left. So and that happens. That does happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then the second part of that was just an amazing play, a fluke play on the deep ball to Amari Cooper. And, you know, I tell, I tell my son, uh, my one that's up at uh, Sioux Falls playing, he's a corner, and I say, listen now, son, you, you, when you play in this business, in this position, that corner position, you're walking out into the middle of town, and, you know, you're going to draw. And there's going to be one guy walks away, and there's going to be one guy laying on the ground. That's the nature of this business. And, and that was a perfect example. The ball hits, ricochets off Cooper, it hits the corner in the chest, but he's turned around and not focused on it. Yeah. Bounces back to Cooper, and then Cooper takes it and runs, you know, a few more yards up the field. Yeah, 
And when I saw that, I said, Vikings are done. Yeah. I, I just knew. I just I've seen that. And Mike, now let's go back. OK, because yeah. we're, we're we're older. Right. Let's go back. To how many times have you seen Roger Staubach throw a ball to Drew Pearson to um, who, who else was there? Uh, you know, any number of the, uh, Preston Pearson. How many times have you seen Tony Hill? How many times you've seen them come back just like that? Oh, yeah. Whether it was Cooper Rush, whether it was Dak Prescott, whether it was Troy Aikman, whether it was Roger Staubach, that was the old school Dallas Cowboy comeback right there. For those of you who don't know what it looks like, that's what it was. And if you don't believe me, just Google it. Well, the other thing that was impressive about it is Cooper Rush um, didn't have a whole lot of, you know, practice for this game to come in and play as well as he did and and make those throws. Yeah. uh, And put it, you know, there's no hesitation. And that's the first thing I look at. In those situations, especially those long balls, they're they want to throw them out of bounds because they don't want to throw an interception. <laughs> you know, that's where they're backups, you know, right? So they yeah, they don't want right. to throw a pick, so they're supposed to throw it. So they won't they kind of throw it way wide. And it's either out of bounds or over his outside shoulder. Yeah. But he didn't do that. He put it up where he can make a catch and uh, you know, it's hoping that works out well for you, and it does. You, you expect when you make a long throw, you used to tell the quarterbacks. If you're going to put the ball out there, if you're going to make that throw, then make the best throw you can. Put it on him and let him – it's up to him now to make that play. And then until the receivers, and he makes that throw and gives you an opportunity. The last thing that should ever happen is an interception. The You've last thing that should play. ever happen. Interesting. Yeah. And he, he, he made that throw in the end zone. Yeah, you know, they did. didn't play scared. He no. put it up on the fade, and I was like, "Yeah, no, no, they, the the guts are there. They 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 got these guys." And and here's what didn't help Minnesota. This was lost. Not not one announcer brought this up. I haven't read about it yet. The Vikings were one for thirteen on third down. You don't deserve to win when you can't convert third downs. No, that and that, that was surprising. Again, Dallas is a totally different team than yeah. they were a year ago defensively, and to their credit put plenty of pressure on the quarterback and they clamped down the receivers and they weren't, you know, a year ago or the last two, three years there on third and four and five, you're going to get a holding penalty. You know, they're, they're going to latch onto that receivers. They're just not very confident in the back end there. So yeah, they're dramatically a different team right now. Dramatically. The energy that went out of the room in Kansas city is at (laughs) Dallas right now. Good point. Great point. Uh, Moving on here to that, that, Final young quarterback, backup quarterback, whatever you want to call it, that jumped in. Uh, you talked about Simeon down in uh, in New Orleans. Sad to see that uh, Jameis Winston is gone for the season with the injury. Simeon comes in 16 to 29, 159 yards, no interceptions. Uh, he he looked smooth, but Tom Brady, on the other hand, helped him out. Tom Brady, two interceptions. He struggles against the Saints during the regular season. He does. He does. And and there's that coordinator changes the coverage on him uh, at the snap a lot. And Tom is mm-hmm. a genius in terms of figuring out what you're doing, where the ball's got to go. So they fooled him big time. They played robber coverage on him, but didn't show it. So what happens on robber coverage, for those of you who don't know, yeah. it looks like it's a two deep coverage on the snap. One guy goes deep and the other guy drops right down the middle of the field and will sit there yep. and rob anything. Yeah. He didn't drop down. He stayed wide. And, and baited him into the throw, and then he came down and picked that ball off. Yeah. And I saw that. I said, it's pretty – you know, that was the last pick. And that was 
Yeah. That was pretty awesome. That's the score. Mm-hmm. You got a score out of that. So yeah, he came down. Looked like it was too deep. That off safety took off and, and took went to the middle, but he hung there. Why? And I'm sure Tom felt like that's a half field safety. But as soon as he saw Brady start to make that throw, man, he closed down hard in the middle and picked it off, stepped in front of it. That Robert coverage is a great coverage. We were playing uh, San Francisco one year out, out when I was in Green Bay, and uh, Chuck Cecil picked off uh, Montana twice with with Robert coverage. We And it's funny, we didn't run that the whole season, didn't show it in training camp, and really weren't a big Robert team. But for whatever reason, our coaches saw something felt like – we could get something. Maybe it was a crossing routes, you know, cause they like to do a lot of underneath stuff. And, uh, and Joe, Joe threw into it and it was, it was pretty amazing to your point. That's how, how uh, lethal that coverage can be if you run it right. And you're not expecting it. You know, if you're preparing for a team that only runs a little bit of it, you still have to coach it like it's one of their primary coverages on third down. Yeah. Because yeah. when it shows up, the ball's got to go to the outside receivers. You can't throw anything inside. You can't. And we used to tell the quarterbacks, and I remember a preseason game, uh, we had a veteran quarterback, um, and he, I think it was Hostetler, and we told him 11R, we're trying to throw that F post in there. He said, you you can't get it off soon enough. Even though it looks like it, you can't. It's not going to happen. Well, he's a vet. He can do what he wants. So he comes out, he puts that ball in there. It's a pick six. Ran it back. (laughs) It was against the Chargers. I'll never forget. And that backside safety, he came all the way across the field. He read his eyes. Yeah, picked it off in his full stride and took it in. So, Mike, especially if you go ahead and and take a couple steps, like you're going to the post. I mean, the uh, half, the deep yeah. half as a safety, yeah. and then drop down, get low, and sneak down in that <laughs> yeah. hole. Boy, it's it's dirty, man. You can, you but can you know what he did in the game that safety did is, is he just he hung back a little bit, just backpedaled back. So yeah. he didn't. Tom would have really recognized him if Brady would have recognized him if he'd come down right away. He hung back, hung back, read his yeah. eyes. And then as soon as he got his eyes on, he waited for the yeah. ball to get in the air because yeah. he didn't back up. So he was already in position. Yeah. He didn't back up and come down. He just hung there. But still, as you're the quarterback, things are going so fast. You still see the safety is apart. Right. You know, that's and right. And he never saw him come down. Mm. Well, he right. in other words, uh, they got his number at New Orleans. They really do in they, terms of coverage, and they're really—they've got a pass rush. You know, they're fast. They get to him. They—they jostle him around a little bit. They get him antsy and trying to get the ball out faster than what he would like to. And they do a good job on him. They got his number during the regular season, but yes, they right. don't have it during the playoffs. So let's see if that changes. Right. All right, Mike. Exactly. We're gonna—we're gonna move forward here. We, we've only got about ten minutes left. Uh, some big trades. Well, one big trade. Von Miller. Uh, going to the Rams for a D2, a D3. Uh, that's a second-round pick, a third-round pick in the draft next year. Uh, but the big, the big injury news, I think, is uh, Derrick Henry. Uh, that, one, that one shocked me. So what does Tennessee do? And, and do you expect them, not, not that there's a whole lot available running back-wise, do you expect them to try to make a move for a running back at the, at the well, 11th sure hour here? Yeah, I'm sure they'll try to make a move on a, on a runner somewhere. You yeah. know, Baltimore got down there and had to bring three guys in off the street there as the season started, as you'll remember. So, I mean, they have to have – they've got – I don't know what the roster is with their running backs right now, but they'll have to bring another running back in, and then, you know, maybe they have somebody there that they kind of like too. So, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. November 2nd, that's today, is the, the uh, close of the trading deadline. So, at uh... – 
at a, at a certain time today, all trades will be off. So it was, someone brought up the name Ronald Jones with Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay seems to be happy with Ronald Jones and, and uh, they're happy unless yeah. <laughs> it depends on the value that they're going to get for him. You know, they're happy with him. Yeah. But you know, oh, I'd never sell this. How much? <laughs> yeah, right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Fournette, um, guess what? One of you guys. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we'll Fournette, see. you just can't carry the ball. You got more touches now, buddy. That's yeah, all. right, right. Uh, Melvin Ingram looks like he's going to Kansas City from Pittsburgh. He's uh, that's a former Charger linebacker. He's bouncing around a little bit. Uh, that that was that was rough. The, the the injury to Henry that to me now changes everything in the AFC. Well, it does to some extent. I'm, I'm just curious. They're still committed to run the football. So whoever gets in, there's not going to be Derrick Henry, but they right. will still, you know, rally and, and run the football because they're really good up front. They're really good offensive line. It may change how they run it a little bit, but um, they'll, they'll still stay with that. And Tannehill's really playing well. They're playing really good on defense. So, you know, it's just the next guy in line. It's kind of what you say. Who's up next? You know, that's kind of how you Next man up. But, Mike, Tannehill is – He's a product of the big man running the football in that offensive line, right? He is. Uh, you know, yeah. to, to ask him to go win a game uh, throwing the football every week, uh, he's probably not going to be able to do that. But he's much better. He's a much better player than I ever thought he was uh, coming out of Miami. When he's at Miami, he just he, – he was a hit-or-miss guy, but he's really played well there. So – Yeah. And, and they do a great job of coaching. They don't ask these guys to do something that they're really not – you know, able to do, they'll still stay committed to the running game. You watch, they will. Yeah. No, I, I, I like Tannehill. I like him a lot. And yeah, again, they did what good teams do. They found a way to win that game. And, and what Wentz had a couple throws that I, I know right now he wishes he could take back. Oh, some but that's dumb, a, yeah. a, but that's, that's Carson. Remember he's, when you add up the number of starts in his career, there's not very many. Yeah, guess not. He's, there's not very, when you look at you know because of the injuries and the time missed and all that. Yeah. yeah, there's just not a lot of starts. Yeah, I mean he's he's still a bit of a project. You know he's not there yet, but he'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on that one. Like I said, all of a sudden things seem to have changed in that division now. In Indianapolis, that would have been a big win for them. That that would have taken them you know to one game below 500 at four and five instead of three and five. And probably the bright spot for Tennessee in that day is that they got the win. Yeah. Although losing so Derrick Henry. Like two games ahead of them? Six and two, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. six and two, yeah. Right. But losing the price they paid for that one is big. So we'll we'll see. We'll see one one other thing real quick. Yeah. Just saw this. Probably the, the guy I wouldn't want to be today is Mike White at the Jets. Yeah. Because I know why. Right, because no matter who they play, the expectation is he's going to come out and do the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's just not going to happen. You know, it's, it, it's right? I don't know who they're playing this week either. I really don't. But he's given them life and excitement and all that sort. And he'll play okay, but it's not going to be like it was last week. And, <laughs> what do you and say? that's what the you know Jets fans. That's what they're going to expect. They're going to expect another miracle kind of a situation. You know, and maybe he does it. I don't know. But yeah, well, they're they're going to play the Colts in Indy. Yeah. So the Colts will be mad. They'll be breathing yeah. fire. Yeah, that's and, not a good right. place right now. That's not a good <laughs> yeah, matchup. You don't want to go play them today. Yeah. No, that's not going to be good. Right. For them. Right. All right. Well, since we're on to next week, let's go to next week. 
You know, we talk about that Jets uh, indie game. That's a, that's a big game for both teams. It's a big game for the Jets because now, like you say, the quarterback and the team wants to prove that, okay, well, you know, that wasn't a we're fluke for real. And, we, and yeah. we're for real. And, and, and as much as you try to prevent a quarterback controversy, there's already one there now in New York. And that's great because the writers in New York will have something to write about, but you know, is, they love that. But you look at what the Jets did. They came off of just a, a beat now from the week before. Mm-hmm. Just an absolute yeah. beat down. Well, I can't remember the score, but they got beat by five touchdowns, right? So right. now they come in and they pull this off. So with Robert Saleh there as a head coach, this really is a defining moment for him. If they can go in and, and win this game, that, that will be his signature when this thing completely turns around. That's right. That's right. That was uh, the Patriots that uh, yeah. beat him up pretty bad, 54-13. Hey, Mike, before we go to the rest of the game this week, I to get your opinion on something. So the Patriots are at UCLA uh, right now. They're, they're there practicing because they played the, the Chargers this week. And, uh, you know, Herbert had a couple picks and a couple weren't his fault. But that was that was a rough game. But uh, is that is that unusual? Because they, they play Carolina at Carolina next week. So why are they staying out here? Probably weather or, I, I, you know, I, I, I really don't know. I, I can't, I don't know. Usually that happens if you can play San Francisco the next week. Right? That's exactly right. Or Arizona or Seattle. Yeah. You stay on the West Coast, right? I, so, I really don't know. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, but Bill, you know, there's a reason I promise you, but I, just, I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. And they, 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 they played a double out here last year. They played uh, the Rams and then they played uh, the Chargers. Uh, kind of back to back, but that they don't have that case this year. So anyway, uh, so think about yeah. this. Think about this. After that game, you have to go on the road twice in one week. So yeah. in other words, you got to go from San Diego back home, and then you got to go down to Carolina. So that's two trips that now you don't have to make. You just make one. Right. So maybe right. That's his I logic. That. Yeah. Yeah. All right, here, uh, two games, and then we're going to get out of here. That Packer-Arizona game, Thursday night, last Thursday night. Give me your thoughts. Well, I just – that's Green Bay. You can never forget about Green Bay. You know, they're down – they don't have their first two receivers. Yeah. And they come out and they're able to do what they did. Defensively, they rose to the challenge. And um, I just just think the Packers, when the dust settled, we've said this from the very first game, even after they lost in New Orleans – and that horrible thing, you know, the season opener. Mm-hmm. When the dust settles, the Packers, they're going to be there. They're, they're going to be they're there. Just, no. that's, that quarterback is just that good, and the running back is going good. The offensive line's going, and defensively, they're solid. You know, they're able to go into Arizona, beat him with two of their best receivers gone, and Adams, you three. know. Three. Yeah. Three, yeah, to have three. them all out and win that game, that's a pretty bold statement. Yep. No, that, that was that – was... A lot of that, like we said, that was Aaron Rodgers, boy. And they, and they, I could tell how the way that game was going. Arizona got bamboozled a little bit. They thought Green Bay was kind of coming come there limping, playing the flute out of the side of their mouth, you know, with the knee tied up. No, it, it, that, that wasn't the deal. And then by the time they woke up, it was too late. And it was a, sh- a shame how it ended for them, that play in the back of the end zone. That, uh, yeah. that was weird. Yeah. That was weird. But – that's the way it is. Hey, Green Bay, so I'm talking Green Bay, Green Bay going to Kansas City. Now they're bringing their 7-1 and record down there to uh, a really 
disjointed Kansas City team at four and four. Well, the theme in that locker room this week will be we're going to get better against this team. You know, this is going to be we win this thing and we're back in everything, you know. So, yeah, that'll be the theme. But just watching them, they're just the air's been taken out of that room somehow, some way. They're, yeah. They are just a down in the dumps kind of, they just don't play with inner energy or enthusiasm. I, it, it could be a beat down if you're not careful. Yeah. Titans going on to take on the Rams. <laughs> the Rams, boy, they got lucky on this one. They don't have to get the deal with the big man, the Derrick beast. Henry, right? That, that's like something from heaven. Okay. And then on top of that, you pull off a huge trade in Von Miller. Two questions there. Is Von Miller, Miller healthy? You know, how healthy is he? And number two, gosh, I, okay. You always take a pass rusher when you can get it. You, you don't complain about that, but what they really needed was a marquee running back, but I don't think anything is out there like that available. No, I think that's right. I think what you said is exactly right. But first of all, when you get a speed rusher off the edge like that, then you just figure that's going to trump the running back, you know, you're going to just make you that much better on yeah. defense. And they're yeah. really good on defense. They've got, they probably have the best personnel on defense, arguably in the league. Really. That's right. Yeah. So, that's right. you know, and here's a, here's the danger here too. You know, those teams that we just talked about Tampa Bay, you know, playing New Orleans and New Orleans has their third quarterback. No way. New Orleans wins that game. It's the same thing here. You know, Tennessee is going to the, play the Rams, you know, no, they don't have the big, running back now and there's yeah. no way they can win this yeah, nah, I don't know. Uh, no because that's... there's a whole bunch of other guys in that team they're playing pretty good yeah mike you, you this league is a good team and you know somebody yeah. and i i apologize for not knowing who the other running backs are but you didn't go into the season without a really good second team running back and that's why we drafted the you know Jackson and you know behind Marshall because if Marshall went down we didn't want to change everything that we did we want to still be able to do some of those things you know and I'm sure you know knowing them and and how solid that team has been built that they'll have a good running back they'll have a good answer for it yeah no they 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 definitely will um, and the second it's you're going to laugh at this the second leading rusher. Uh, last week was Ryan Tannehill and then Woodside is, is the next back up. So yeah, they're, they're going to have to, someone's going to have to step up and, and do something, but you watch now Vrabel's a good coach. And like we saw the Packers, a lot of people bet uh, that the Packers were going to go in there and stumble. And I, I'll admit now I was on that, that pessimistic side of that coin as well, because with all the guys they had out, and, and just, I didn't just see, I didn't see any way they could do it because they're not great defensively. <laughs> they're not great team defensively. No, but they're, and, they're still a top 10 defense in the league. And that's yeah. when we first saw them play, I, there's no way, but I was looking at them, <clears> they are, you know. And, and they are, right. But the thing that right. was interesting watching that game, uh, Herbie Moskowitz, hmm. his first catch in the game, his first catch in his career, you know, stuff like that. They're giving, they're giving guys, here, Joe Small is his first catch. There are all these guys, and I apologize, I'm not making fun of their names, but, you know, guys I'd never heard of, and the announcer is saying this is his first catch in the league or this is his first catch, and, you know, guys you never heard of that are on that team were making catches in that game. Yeah. And he I got know. the – some of them got the Roger Stink guy too, you know. <laughs> they didn't uh, go where they are supposed to go. One guy was jogging on, on his right over there on the right side. I saw that, yeah. 
I saw and he that. zipped the ball out there and hit him in the back of the head or his and his back and yeah yeah, I, yeah that was no, uh, no I, I right saw away. that anybody can get the ball at any time so okay so so we'll leave you to this we're we're out of here now uh, but we're talking about the Tennessee running backs that are available I'm looking at their depth chart as of right now this is the updated depth chart folks you've got Jeremy McNichols number twenty eight a uh, street free agent last year picked up. Uh, from the uh, the uh, 49ers, okay, and uh, he was on, in on and off practice squads with Indianapolis, with Denver, with Tennessee, Tampa. He's he's been one of those guys, okay. So he's coming off the street, literally. And then behind him, Kari Blazing Game. That's right, Kari Blazing Blazing Game. Okay, and he is coming off the Vikings practice squad. He's number 41. So, so make a note of those two guys. That's, okay. that's generally not a good deal when you can't pronounce the name of, of a guy. It's probably not no, good. I, I'm no, disappointed. Right. I thought they would have uh, you know, a good answer with the number two. I'm, I'm uh, disappointed. Unless my depth chart is wrong, Mike, This and it's updated because Derrick Henry is listed on the – Injured reserve, so they've updated that part, and then you've got the uh, the rookie fullback, Tory Carter. So between McNichols, Blazing Game, and Carter, somebody's going to emerge as the new Derrick Henry. Or we'll see a transaction here today. Or so. we'll see a transaction real soon. This could be real interesting. So yeah. anyway, all right, brother, that's it for me, man. We got to roll. I know you got things to do. All right, right. We'll talk about some more football next week right here on Run It Again Podcast. Ron Pitts, Mike Martz. Take care, Mike. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz, and we want to say thank you to super sports agent Lee Steinberg for joining us here on Run It Again. Like what you're hearing on Run It Again? Well, let us know by leaving us a review on Apple. Be sure to join us next Tuesday for a new episode as we break down the early NFL playoff picture. Don't forget to visit us at runitagainpodcast.com and be sure and hit that subscribe button. Remember, we're just two old pros trying to make you think a little. So long, everybody. Run It Again with Ron Pitts and Coach Mike Martz is a Benstown and McVay Media Podcast production. Executive produced by Roy Hamilton, producer Ed Maloney, and technical engineer is Kevin Horton. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching at Run It Again Podcast.